Hetty Leone. She just finished joining us for a few of these West Coast dates on the Wraparound Robin tour. This coming week, we're keeping it moving. We're playing Missoula, Montana, Billings, Montana, Chicago, Cincinnati, and Port Huron, Michigan. I want to announce this is going to be the last weekly episode of Height Zone World. We're going to switch it up to a monthly thing, and it's going to be a little different. You'll see what's up when you hear it. The artwork, as always, is by Mike Riley. Check him out at MikeRileyComics.com. And once again, we're being hosted by Splice Today. Check them out at SpliceToday.com. Let's, Let's go, go in. in. Oh, I grew up uh, on the east side of Seattle. I never felt like I really grew up there. I mean, I did most of my growing in Seattle proper. What does the east side mean? Like suburbs? Uh, the, like the burbs, yeah. Oh, okay. It's like, um, have you ever been to a Costco? Yeah. Do you know Kirkland Signature brand? Yes. I'm from Kirkland, so I am Kirkland Signature. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you mean, like, you feel like you grew up more in Seattle? Because um, that was where, you know, you were, like, trying to make moves and shakes and, and, and like... You know, as kids, we would we would be on the bus. The the transit system in Seattle is is worthless, and so to get from yeah. the east side into Seattle is like a two hour venture on bus. At least it was at that time. And uh, you you know you're out in the world on your own. You have to be thoughtful of where you're at and your surroundings. You have to make plans, and you have to try to be like really cool while you're doing <laughs> right, it. Right. And so I think it was, like, the first thing to really, like, spur me to think outside of, like, yeah, let's just sit at the 24-hour Sherry's all night and more, like, what else is out there? What am I about? What is the yeah. rest of the world about? So did you have this, like, music interest from super early on? Yeah, for sure. Um, my dad always takes a little bit of credit for it, and I think rightly so, because he would put headphones on my mom's belly when I was still living in there yeah. and uh, play, you know, the White Album. And so I was, like, singing before I could talk and and definitely have a lot of memories of, like, waking my parents up at, like, 5 in the morning because I had a new song that I wanted to sing for them or oh, a little nice. performance I wanted to do. So, yeah, it's always been a big part of who I am, I'd say. I remember you saying you got into this, like, Seattle band that was doing their thing, like, super uh, yeah. early on. What was that band? <laughs> that band was called Shoddy. Okay. And it's funny because one of the members, um, shout out Guy Keltner, is uh, yeah. really making great moves in, like, Acid Tongue and has gone on to be in a bunch of dope bands as well. Oh, and, cool. Yeah, but that was more of, like, um, <laughs> like, we did a lot of Smashing Pumpkins covers. Nice. And, uh... Yeah, I wore a vest. <laughs> if that gives you any idea of what kind of band that was. That, for me, was not my band. It wasn't yeah, my yeah. project, and it wasn't my music. So that wasn't, like, the beginning for me. Um, I mean, the beginning is, like, fuzzy, because I started playing, like, classical guitar and stuff when I was 11 or 12, but I was too nervous to actually perform that. Yeah. So there was a lot of, like, 
false beginnings and like different projects that weren't really mine. It wasn't until I accidentally formed a band in college that it was really like the beginning for me of my music stuff. And that was definitely beginner's luck accident, like stumbled into some bizarre universe where I was an actual musician. Oh, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Instead of just messing around. And that would be next door. The neighbors. next door neighbors. Yeah. yeah. So we'll break down a little bit. You're like, you were saying the other day, like it kind of had a weird start, like accidental. <laughs> yeah. start or something. So I am. Um, how do I tell the story in the shortest way possible? Doesn't have to be short. I, uh, I get to college and I'm like clueless and scared. Because all those two-hour bus rides into Seattle had me thinking I, like, had a clue how to navigate the world. And yeah. it turns out I didn't at all. And I, um, it was, like, my first week there, and I've, like, made a friend, or my boyfriend's made a friend. And so I'm like, okay, we're going to go over there. And he lived in a townhouse uh, complex called Rock Maple, which uh-huh. is in- infamous with any greeners out there. You know the Rock Maple. So I walked into the wrong townhouse because they're all identical. Oh. And I didn't realize it. And they're watching Pete and Pete, which is one of my favorite shows. And I plop myself down on the couch, and I'm like, I'm just going to act really confident like I belong here with these people. Yeah. But then suddenly I'm realizing, wait, my boyfriend's not here. And the homie we made, Onias, isn't here. And I kind of turn, and this girl is like, so, who are you? Like, but we've been sitting and watching Pete and Pete for like a little minute. Anyway, that turned out to be Kathy Cote, um, who to this, I mean, that was like 11 years ago, and to this day, she's like my best friend and sister, and uh, she, uh, you know, I was I was confident enough to be diddling around on guitar in front of people at that point, and a yeah. mutual friend of ours was like, you know, Kathy plays music too, and I was kind of upset, because she never told me, I was oh. like, what, Kathy Cote, that cool girl, plays music, she never said, so, um, at this time, we were both in those crap college relationships you find yourself in. Yeah. And the crap college houses that you find yourself in. And so I built a fort in the upstairs of my room. Um, the dudes I was living with were, like, selling hardcore drugs, so we had, like, crazy people in and out all the time. So that was, like, my one little safe haven yeah. corner of the world. I tacked up these, like, green velvet curtains and all these lights, and it was, like, my little tent hideout. Oh, and Kathy would come over... When she was feeling equally stressed, and we would just sit and goof around on these synthesizers. Um, she also had a closet at her place, similar situation. So we were like, we would just find these little corners to nestle up into yeah. together and just make music for shits and giggles. And then we, um, we live in a world of our own making and have so many inside jokes. It's out of control, and none of them are actually funny or make any sense to anyone outside of <laughs> us. Uh, but we had a thing about the movie Carrie and how funny it would be to, to create a fake band and play proms and scare the shit out of the kids at prom by locking all the doors and turning off the lights and like pouring fake blood from the ceiling and all this. Um, so we made these bumper stickers that were like, we called ourselves the next door neighbors cause we were next door neighbors. Uh, the next door neighbors singing and dancing and cutting people. And it was just supposed to be this little like blip thing. And then next thing you know. You know, our friends were actually booking us to play their house parties, and then more people were booking us to play parties, and then we were playing really ve- real venues, and in a year, we were just like, wow, that was like the best joke ever, because it, yeah. it turned true-ish. <laughs> we never actually murdered anybody yet, right. yet. Right. you never know. And, like, did you feel like, 
like songwriting wise, like, okay, we're writing these songs that we want to write. Yeah, like it had never occurred to us. I think as, as uh, and I don't mean to be totally on this tip, but I think as women, we'd never been given the opportunity in the other musical projects we were in to have any say on what the sound was going to be or what mm. we were trying to make. It was always like some dude was playing music and needed a chick accompaniment. And yeah. it was like, oh, I'm not accompaniment. So we weren't even thinking in terms of like, what should our sound be? Or like, what do we want to say here? It was just totally us goofing off and being like, whoa, that's a dope sound. Like, yeah. that would sound really good with this. And um, in a way, I think we really kind of created our own genre-ish out of that. Oh, yeah. Like, these days, the um, like electro-pop synth thing is really popular. Yeah. But at that time, the only person we would ever be compared to is Portishead. Right. Which we don't even sound like Portishead at all. But it was like the only thing at that time people had to think of to be like, oh, you're a chick on a synthesizer and it's kind of beady and it's kind of thoughtful. Right. right. Portishead. Right, right. Yeah. Now we've got like Little Dragon and Churches and and Purity Ring and all kinds of that stuff. But You were saying like, as you guys started to hit the road, it was kind of like these successful tours yeah it was just crazy it was just magic like uh i don't think anybody really deserves anything in this life and i don't believe in karma but if i did i would think we were really good people in a former (laughs) life because everywhere we went it was it was just a resonating energy and i think it really was just right time right place like yeah we were so um, like young and energized, and all the people we were running into on the road were also like college age, young and energized, and having that feeling of like we get to shape the world we live in. Like we're right on the edge of inheriting the world, and we get to make it whatever we want. Right. And like right. art and music is such a powerful way to like communicate that. That I think people just we were just vibing <laughs> all the way around, up so- and down the West Coast, like. Like, this is going to be ours. <laughs> this yeah. is our thing. Did you feel, like, ambitious? Like, like we got to, like, keep this moving? And, like... There was a point, yeah, that I did. But it was also the point where I, st- like, had, like, started getting a little bit of an ego and being a jerk. Like, they came hand in hand for me because as long as it was, like, a joke, <laughs> and as long as I wasn't serious and we weren't thinking about it too hard, it was just super fun. Yeah. It was like oh, yeah, we're going to go play this crazy house party and hey, Ashbury and laugh at all the people who are handing us their business cards and networking and trying to make connections. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like those squares, those tools. Right. You know, but we, we were uh, saying that operating out of the fact that we had achieved some level of success that they were really working to get. To, yeah, yeah, You exactly. know, and, uh, uh, you know, had no business thinking that we were like, or at least for me, I had no business thinking like that that was ridiculous to be ambition and be driven and motivated. Because right. then as soon as we got to a certain level, then I started getting motivated and ambitious and driven and thinking like we'd roll up to a show and no one would have heard of us. And I'd be like, oh, really? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. like who the hell am I to, right. <laughs> to have that kind of perspective? So um, it was it was sort of um, too my benefit that as soon as I had decided it wasn't a joke that it kind of stopped and <laughs> sort oh, of started yeah. falling apart at that point. Well, tell that story about the psychic. Which one? Oh yeah. So, uh, 
talked to a psychic. Uh, she was giving very involved, specific readings, but looked over at me, and all she said was, um, you, don't, you don't need any more fame than you have right now. And she said it in this very kind of, like, not judgmental, but just a, like, ooh, girl, like, <laughs> you need to take a chill pill. She yeah. just looked over and, like, knew, and that was all she said. And it stuck in my head, and I was upset. I was like, who does she think she is that she'll tell me that I don't deserve? I mean, I was thinking what she was saying was, I don't deserve fame and glory. But what she was saying was, like, uh, this atmosphere and environment is potentially taking you somewhere negative to for mm. who you are as a person. It's um. like, I'm sure there's a parallel universe version of me that is wildly successful and probably an asshole. <laughs> I don't think I was meant to be very successful. Like, how did you guys, like, like split up, exactly, as a... It was, I mean, that's kind of a raw subject. Like, Kathy and I haven't even totally worked through that together. But uh, it was a combination of things that started so stupidly, as most friendship fallouts do, where it's like, I don't like your boyfriend. Well, I don't like your boyfriend. Well, he's not allowed to come to this show. Well, he's not allowed to come to that show. And then it was like, well, if he can't come, you know, I'm not going to play. And then it's yeah. like, oh, so-and-so in the friend group is fighting, and this is drama, and blah, blah, blah. And then, like, and then, then at that time, you know, I'm thinking, I'm feeling burdened because I'm throwing my guts into booking, like, four shows a week and this and that. And Kathy's feeling burdened because she's in school and working yeah. a job, and now she has to play four shows a week on top. You know, so it was just, like, stupid misunderstandings, and I think at that time... Everything had been so magical and worked out so seamlessly for us that to have to work at it was something that hadn't occurred to us. Right, right, right. But a band's like a marriage. You know, you fall in love and it's the honeymoon and then it's like, oh shit, it's time to do some work. (laughs) And we were not prepared to do that work. Mm. And, um, And yeah, and so there were like a number of factors that things just kind of drifted away. From us. I mean, I kind of thought it was like over for me yeah. as far as being able to make music that was very sentimental to me and have people enjoy it. Uh-huh. Because I was doing like some hip hop projects and stuff with other people and little collabs here and there. But again, it was that same phenomena of being 13 and having a dude's vision and being like, hey, chick, fit into my vision. Right. It was like that all over again. It wasn't me generating my own sound and my own music and my own heart. And I felt like. Well, that was the once in a lifetime opportunity I had to really voice my own thing. Yeah. I'm probably going to be spending the rest of my musical quote unquote career helping other people achieve their vision, which was in- incorrect. That wasn't right. the right thought, but it was how I was feeling at the time. So it was a significant loss at the time. So, wait, what kind of hip hop projects were you already? I was doing in? a project called Nightbox. Which, oh, that existed at the same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That story. was like they overlapped yeah. a okay. little bit there, um, and that that honestly contributed to the next door neighbors' downfall because we had songs that uh, Choni Diego, my producer, and Night Fox would do remixes of, and then we'd be performing them. And Kathy, I think, rightly felt uncomfortable that I'm performing our lyrics, like next door neighbors' songs. She yeah. perceived it as like. Once I've written those lyrics for the next door neighbors, that's like our song, that's our material. Yeah. And so for me to perform those lyrics in another project was to kind of degrade this like sacred, awesome shit that we had going on, just the two of us, which I didn't understand at the time, but which makes more sense to me now. 
Right, right. Um, yeah, so it, 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 so yeah, I was doing Night Fox, which was my material, but it wasn't really, and it was a lot around how the dudes that I was performing with, like, wanted to sound and the vibe they wanted to portray and, and what they were about. About, like, what was the... Like, party, mission? party, like, let's be really cool and look really cool and party yeah. vibe. Which I like being very cool and looking very cool and partying, um, but that's certainly not the largest part of who I am and not what I would want to convey exclusively in music. Right. In fact, I think it's really important to convey all things <laughs> in yeah. music specifically. And do you feel like there was maybe a bit of like, not like opportunism, but just like careerism in like, we're going to have this like party fun time yes exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. it was like we're gonna be the hot local base it was funny because the irony of it was what night fox was trying to do was what the next door neighbors had done so very effortlessly right right night right. fox was trying to really make that happen and throw the coolest parties that had all the college kids come and get everybody really excited but you yeah. can't force fun Right. You just can't force fun. Well, I had fun at Night Fox. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> but, but you feel like it w- there was like a little bit of like, this isn't happening the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't as organic so, of yeah, a process. Yeah. And it certainly wasn't born out of anything as special as two girls finding each other and finding a corner to carve out in this world surrounded by like insanity and chaos. Yeah. You know, to make something really special and safe, it, like, it wasn't half as meaningful. Oh. Like, so even within being, like, totally in control of the lyrics, you just felt like the vibe was still, like... Yeah. You weren't able to, like, and the, yeah, take to, command. Yeah. It, what that project was doing was validating the shittier parts of myself. The parts that wanted to just party and seem like this really cool musician chick and just be down to clown and have a good time always Uh and be the star of the show and like the coolest person in the room really i feel like to explain this better i have to explain how painfully nerdy i was my entire life like i didn't have friends growing up very much i was like the chick eating lunch in the bathroom stall like up through high school yeah so so getting out into the world it was so significant to me that so many people thought I was cool that like right. that became so much of my overwhelming focus in my very early 20s right right, right. that um that yeah it, it's not that Night Fox wasn't dope because it was really dope <laughs> the music was cool like I say I'm behind a lot of the lyrics and, and all that but it it wasn't of substance, really. It, right. And it validated for me the superficial part of myself, which was like dangerous territory because music was always so special to me from a really young age that it was the thing that kind of kept me me, like no matter what, I yeah. had music. And so I feel like I almost bastardized it for myself to like to use it as a tool to validate my own self-esteem and insecurities. It was like just did not feel right or good uh, or positive yeah we kind of the producer and i just stopped vibing and you know drugs in the scene are a powerful thing like right, right. you never know so things things happen along the way and and you just can't sustain that project was always so tenuous it was gonna need a whole lot of luck to remain stable and as soon as things became a little bit uh, shaky. There was just no way to sustain 
wanting to work together or showing up to the shows on time or, or doing the things we needed to do to keep it rolling. Right, right. After that, like, what were you thinking musically? I, I mean, I was thinking I was pretty much... It was like <laughs> it was it was like when the next door neighbors fell apart, but on some even next level shit. Because yeah. by the time Night Fox was falling apart, I was already in this other group called Free Whiskey, that was even more someone else's oh, right, vision. Right. It was even more someone else's shit that like I didn't even have my own songs in that um, that you know I'd have verses and stuff, but I was like a guest star in this. Right. Um, um, truly like a stage spectacular of like a shit show of bizarre people and personality types. Um, and that was, again, it was super fun, but it was even farther removed from what my vision for myself was. But at that point, I was starting to wisen up to, to who I was, to who I was, I guess. I'll, I'll leave it at that. But um, it was like, this, it's like, this is what I deserve. Like, I, I didn't nurture and take care of this incredible band that meant so much to me that, like, it's only natural. Like, this is my karmic reward that now I'm just yeah. the, like, girl in the skirt, like, spitting stupid shit to right, help these right, dudes right. look cool. Like, I felt like it was an appropriate balance. balance. <laughs> like, like, the universe was writing itself. Yeah. Um, but, it, and it, yeah, it wasn't, I wasn't feeling like, writing my own material. I mean, yeah. I had writer's block for, like, three years, which is crazy. I've been writing prolifically since I could hold a pencil. So yeah. for that to have gone down, it was just, it blew my mind, I thought. And you guys, like, like who conceived that project? Nick, this Nicotine. Okay. Performer Nicotine, who was in, like, Junkyard Gang and had done a lot of, like, local hip-hop that was certainly more like tongue-in-cheek more like kind of dirt nasty vibe yeah um just very much like um like superficial but fun like right right, right. like neighborhood based rap and like was was that a similar kind of thing where it's like where it's like we're gonna make this project move like, i don't like know because i be i'll be super candid here i don't know because i never cared enough about it to like have that discussion <laughs> right, right it was like nick really cared about it and like he was booking all the shows and making all the things happen yeah which was great because uh it gave me even more of an excuse to just show up when called and write the verse that needed to be written and dip out again right 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 like i so i just kept it always like as as much as like arm's length as possible yeah but then, you know, simultaneously, we're in this really small town, and so I'm going around, and people are recognizing me as Monica Lewiski, which was my name <laughs> in Free Whiskey. And I felt like such a phony, because all these people are like, oh, damn, you're Monica Lewiski. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like, right, yeah, right, I guess right. I am. I guess. And how did that project end? I guess just... That again, like, hey, drugs are a crazy thing. <laughs> like, Word, uh, like right. the shit just fell apart. Um, yeah. Yeah, people had to do what they had to do to take care of themselves, and that's that's awesome. Like, that, that like, I, I have so much respect for people who are able to, like, completely switch their lives around and sacrifice things to make themselves better. Yeah. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Like... So that was a, a blessing that kind of came out of how intense and shit showy that project got. Right, right. Was I think it was sort of like a reality check at a point. And like, what was the next project from there? Everybody we can. Yeah. So after all that. Yeah. And years of writer's block, 
and feeling so down. And mind you, along this way, I had dated a couple um, bigger name musicians and successful producers who also put a lot of pressure on me to make a certain sound or sound a certain way. So for me, my sacred space would be pulling up in a corner and playing guitar for three hours or yeah. playing synthesizer for three hours. Maybe it sounds really shitty. Maybe it sounds really cool. But that was something I had to do every day. Yeah. And you have dudes around you who are like, why are you doing it like that? You should be doing it like this. It starts planting seeds in your head. And suddenly that thing that I had always been so like, well, fuck you if you don't like it about. Suddenly I was like, mm, maybe, maybe they're right. Maybe I should do it this different way. Maybe I should be more like this. Um, right combined with being in these bands that weren't representative of me as a musician it was just a total like crisis <laughs> it's like a, oh, it was yeah, just yeah. like a crisis of like identity and music a really bad writer's block forever and it's funny because at the time i couldn't figure out why but like talking through this now i'm like it's so obvious because, oh, yeah. like you had no idea like of course you couldn't tap into anything at that time um and i don't know how it happened but like slowly but surely I started listening to music again. Like, I wasn't even listening to music, which for me is insane. I'm always listening to music. But I totally just removed that element um, for myself. And uh, it just sort of came back to me, like, on its own accord. Like, I always said when I write songs, it's sort of like tuning in a radio. Like, it has nothing really to do with me it's like my subconscious is picking shit up along the way yeah. and then through for whatever reason these songs are being written and then i'm like tuning in the radio station and yeah and figuring out that song and it just the waves started coming back to me like the radio signals started flaring up in my head again so um i was living by myself in this apartment and i finally felt comfortable enough to start fucking around on the synths again and uh and then I really wrote some of what I would consider my all-time best songs. Like, shit that was just so tender and meaningful, but cool. And I, the fact I was doing it 100% myself and setting it up so it was something I could do live. Yeah. Like, making beats live and singing over the top, and it was 100% me. Right, just right, me right. doing it all. And uh, it saved me. Now, the funny thing about that project is nobody really cares. <laughs> and the other thing is, like... Like, uh, it's so difficult to do all of that stuff on stage that the presence I think I'm known for bringing to the stage is very hard to achieve because I'm so stressed out about, like, turning knobs and dials and hitting the right key on the right time and doing this and this and this. Yeah. That I think the performance read more technical and so much of the magic that that project contained when it was just me not giving a fuck in my bedroom uh -huh. um, is lost when you're trying to make it perfect for other people. And so, but for the first time, despite the fact that it was sort of a disastrous endeavor, it's still my favorite. Yeah. It's my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. And those songs are on my SoundCloud. Like, most of them are on my SoundCloud. They're, they're shitty recordings because it's literally just me playing live into my MacBook Pro computer mic. Yeah. But you can kind of catch, like, the vibe. So, if, you know, if that project wasn't really built for the live set... Yeah. Like, like what inspired going back to, like, rapping, like, solo? I did it for past me, I guess. Like, sometimes you're the only hero you're ever going to have. And I'm, I'm, like, really into psychology and stuff. And 
I don't want to get into like bleeding heart, like we're all broken children territory here, but I think like people carry a lot of shit with them. Yeah. And a lot of them are looking for someone else to fix it their whole lives. Right. When the only person who can fix it is them. Yeah. So I like to do that in literal ways. And I don't know why the music came back to me. Ask me in 10 years. Maybe I'll have an answer for you then. But when it did, I was sort of able to process, like, doing music had been such a reflection of me becoming who I am and marrying all these different kinds of parts of myself and figuring my shit out that I felt like I'd really done myself a disservice, that maybe I'd been a little bit harder on myself than I should have been for making certain mistakes. But at the same time, like... That young girl didn't deserve to feel like, you know, like a shitty faux musician or like a, you know, like a backup to somebody. And so I think for past me, it was like, you know what? I need to get back on the stage. I need to own that shit. Plus, the crazy things will happen, like, from the next door neighbors, it's weird, like, every now and then Kathy will check, like, our old email. We'll have an email in there from someone that's like so tender and meaningful that it's shocking people even still remember who we are but like oh my god i managed to track you guys down i was going through this crazy shit in my life at the time and your album like got me through it yeah and there are a couple of those at that time also where kathy was like oh my god i just got this message that'll blow your mind so it was a lot of that it was like this is mine. This was like always mine. Like I now I'm able to bring something to it that is genuine and real. Yeah. And sometimes people need you and like, you don't expect it, but like you'll play a show for like 10 people in the middle of nowhere. And it resonates so deeply with someone that you could never expect that it would like touch them that way. But, but that's happened for me where I've gone to a show or I've read a book or seen a painting and been like, damn, I really fucking needed that. Right. So that was the other thing. It was like I'd been punishing myself for being so selfish. But the irony of it was I was being selfish by thinking it was just about me and for me. And especially I think um, women need to see other women doing things that women are, quote unquote, supposed to do. Right. Right. And so that was really the driving passion was, um, you know what? That's what it was. I'm realizing now (laughs) my homeboy hit me up Henri shout out to Henri um Grace Goldman very talented and and a kind man and uh he hit me up and he had two chicks coming from eastern Washington who needed to book a show I was like hey do you know anything about that and I was like man if if Night Fox was around back in the day it would be cool to do this all-female hip-hop thing right and I was like fuck it let's do it and so I put together this event called Sugar and it's a regular thing now we'll be doing another one next spring um, that was just all women represented that do like hip hop, synth, electronic dance music, stuff that is certainly male dominated. Yeah. And like, look, I've got nothing against the sweet girl with the guitar and the beautiful voice. That is an awesome style. But I think that's what people expect when you're a female yeah. and you say I'm a musician, they're thinking, oh, Lilith Fair. But like, I wanted to put together something that was like, damn, I can really get down to this. Yeah. Where the point wasn't that it was all women, but it might occur to you, oh, shit, like, I could book all of these girls. Yeah. You know, not for novelty's sake of having a chick on the bill, but because women have a huge place in hip-hop, specifically. Yeah. That is the music of of the minority and of, of the people who may not be... Um, 
me not have a voice, an authentic voice otherwise. Right, right. So it very much makes sense to me that women would participate in that genre. Yeah. Was that when you started doing Ladies in Free with Yeah, yeah, bars? yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, like, the concept was, was, like, first I want women to be seeing other women on stage and go, shit, I could do that. Because so often when I would perform at Night Fox, I would have girls come up to me and be like, man, I write rhymes in the shower and stuff. Yeah. I, I would never have the balls to do that. And I would always be like, why? Just do it. If me, like the most painfully nerdy, reclusive, shy, awkward weirdo could find the balls to get on stage, certainly normal people right. could find the balls to get on stage. And so like... The, my concept around how to, but how do I actually make them do it? Yeah. Was nobody wants to pay for shows in Olympia. So here's the deal, babe. If you spit your bars, your original bars at the door, you get in for free. And then the cool thing is, you know, in line, other people are seeing other young women take risks. I think it's harder for women to take risks yeah. to be the center of attention for uh -huh. a second is like a more scary thing, I think, right, for right, everybody. Right. But, but I think maybe more so for especially young women who are trying to figure out who they who they are in the world but to have this environment of like well she's doing it yeah. maybe i should take the risk oh well now i'm gonna take the risk because ultimately at the end of the day women are, are incredible support to each other you get a bunch of women in the room supporting each other and it's like the safest most strong powerful place in the world yeah. and i think we're living in a society where women are really pitted against each other and it's this very competitive nature of like is she smarter than me? Am I cuter than her? Like, what, you know? Yeah. When really a, another woman should walk in the room and you should instantly feel more comfortable, like, oh, good, another sister. Like, like <laughs> we can vibe just yeah. for the fact that, like, we're both women. Really. Right, right, right. Um, and so, yeah, that was what I wanted to create with that, was, like, you can take risks. You can support each other. It's super safe. And, like, how great yeah. is it uh, to find this specific genre of music that I think is so powerful in making you feel like you're ready to tackle the world. Yeah. You get that beat behind you and you start flowing. It's just like, there's nothing like it. It's such yeah. an empowering experience. It's, I think it's such a good idea too. Cause it's like kind of subverts the whole, like, cause there's all, there's always like hip hop shows. It would be like first a hundred women in free. Yeah. And then it's like, yeah. but that's just so you, like you 200 guys will pay. Totally. And, then, cause, and it's like, you sort of have to make it free because the show isn't really geared towards women anyway. Totally. So it it's like, how do we get the bitches here? Basically <laughs> yeah, yeah. is the, is the whole idea. But yeah, <laughs> that, like, yeah. That's like the opposite. Kind yeah. Of. Yeah. It's like, please be an active participant in this. This is for you. Yeah. And, and and so was that that first Sugar show? Is that like your first solo hip hop show? Yeah, where it okay. was just me. That was the first yeah. time it was ever just me on a stage yeah. ever. When I was much younger, early in college, you know, I'd go over to like the Free Radio Olympia Studios or like we had all these houses at the time, like Rose Manor and uh, you know the ABC house is still alive and kicking, but uh, and play little guitar for people, right. you know. But never, ever was I on stage 100% by myself exposed, just, like, spitting and, yeah. and being the center of attention. But I had to do it because my whole thing was, like, 
I wanted women to feel comfortable doing that. Well, shit, then I'm going to have to do it even though I'm scared shitless. Right, like, right, right. you got to put your money where your mouth is, you know. And how did your set come off that night? Oh, it was dope. Yeah. <laughs> it was so <laughs> dope. Like, it was a phenomenon much like I'd experienced early on with the next door neighbors where it's shocking to you that people will come out and support you just for the love of of the sound and what yeah. you're doing and that your friends will take their time to really be there for you. But that strangers will take their time to hear music validates that like, Oh, I'm making something cool. Right, like, that's right, mind right. blowing. Like I'm such a sensitive person and music is so tender to me that it's been a pain and a pleasure my whole life. But to have other people go, that's cool. Yeah. It's like so awesome and mind-blowing yeah <laughs> mind-blowing that that a stranger would vibe with what is so deep inside yourself that you don't really show people is such an incredible experience and i i kind of get the feeling like from the last few times i've come through and played with you that that like it's there's like a whole hip-hop scene not just just the females but like there's like a whole hip-hop scene that probably like sort of wasn't there like when you first came here yeah do, do you think that that's true i think that's absolutely true and i think there are specific people in this town who have devoted their lives to keeping a scene alive and well right like i have to give a shout out to colin and bobby right now those are two dudes who have just put their guts into keeping battle rap going keeping like cypher sessions going that's involving the youth yeah 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 yeah. and um and then colin i i don't know what he goes by i can't get it on the tip of my head but he runs all the battle raps in this town and like um there are other cats like afrock and like mark bowen aka um people who have really kept the scene alive but i will say yes when i first got to this town it was all tiny wooden instruments. Right, right, right. And it was me and my homies, uh, Mark Malsbury, who ran Don't Stop Printing, and Robin Sloot, who just loved hip-hop. Yeah. And uh, Henning Snell and a couple other cats. We just loved hip-hop, and we were sick of all the black metal and the tiny wooden instruments. And, like, I love all music, so yeah. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that music, but there was no place to go and turn up. like right, to, right, to have right. our kind of party. yeah. So we got together and made a conscientious effort and started the Don't Stop conglomerate that was all hip-hop. Started putting on hip-hop shows. And, you know, it was a thing where Mark's Printing Company is printing the T-shirts for the bands who are in turn, like, sending business their way. And it was about finding event spaces, finding hip-hop acts, making it happen. We would do basically terrorist shows where we would bring a giant generator and a spotlight and show up someplace like downtown at the well or in the parking lot on campus and play our guts out until the cops showed up and yeah. then load up the car really quick and dip. Right, right, right. You know, or roll up to other people's parties with boomboxes blasting hip-hop music. I mean, it was kind of a dickish move, but it was like, this needs to happen for this town. Yeah. We cannot all be homogenized. Oh, you've never heard of them? Well, they're like the coolest, so I guess they're not cool. Like, right, right, right. Because hip-hop doesn't have that attitude. Hip-hop's like, hey, everybody's welcome. Yeah. Like, it was something this town so desperately needed. So we held meetings and made a conscientious effort and had a plan of attack and achieved it. And from there, a lot of cats were drawn to that and have turned it into something so incredible that is theirs on their own right yeah. and have kept the hip-hop scene alive and well and the heart beating. 
because we all moved away from this town for a couple of years and to come back and see that people are still keeping that energy flowing is extremely dope. (laughs) No, that's awesome. It's extremely cool. How did this new material, like, like the stuff that you've been playing recently and working on, like how, what's the story behind it? I don't totally know. I usually, anyone who writes a song and immediately tells you what it's all about is full of shit. I feel like, I only know what it's about maybe like six months after the fact. Yeah. Um, for me, I was like going through a lot. I, I uh, was living in my dream home. I was dating my dream guy. I was working a dream job. And it fell apart so quick. My head was just spinning. Yeah. For me, it was like I've struggled my whole life to find stability in who I am and where I am, etc. And I felt like I'd worked my ass off and I'd gotten it. set up all the pieces and it was there and I was done and I could take a breath and suddenly it fell apart more than I'd ever expected right right um just because you know my partner and I broke up which needed to happen but that meant I couldn't afford to live in the dream home anymore the dream job took a foul turn and was not as dreamy as it Mm. appeared and it wasn't a healthy place anymore this all coalesced and just created this like frenetic energy fry in my brain, and I needed music more than ever. Yeah, I was working as at a as a bartender at that time, um, in an environment in which you get off shift and you get plastered with all the other bartenders in town. Right, right. And so you know, you get drunk every night, and you're wailing on your guitar with these sad sap songs, uh-huh. and it was just like whoa, 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 I cannot be this person. (laughs) This, like, whiskey, sad, guitar-playing, like, self-hating, like, very, like, some tragic Lucinda Williams song kind of thing. So I was like, what'll what'll snap me back and make this a healthy thing? Yeah. Getting my shit together, performing. And the first person I reached out to um, to help me out with this was Smoke, Matt Smokovich, um, an incredible producer. Again, a lovely man. In fact, I don't think there's a lovelier man in the business that I've met. He is so good. And he literally, you know, I told him what was going on in my in my world. I was like, dude, I'm I'm losing it. Like I just if you have any beats that you don't like, um, I know you're very accomplished. I don't have any money. Like I is there anything you can help me with? And he was incredibly generous. And his exact words were, Well, we're gonna write through this. Yeah. You know, and and that's what happened. And so it was like, man, I don't want to get out of bed, but I do want to hear that new beat. (laughs) So music starts coming around and the thoughts start coalescing and the shit just came together. And it was such a powerful motivator for me to want to get my shit shit back. Yeah. You know, that's so it was it was good. Well, I can't wait to hear the final yeah me too me too cool well thank you so much for doing this yeah dude thank you thank you so much brother appreciate it